0: Hey, thanks for listening to the Berwyn AG podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world. We hope this podcast helps you grow close to the Lord. For more information, you can visit our website, berwynag.org, or you can find us on all social media platforms at Berwyn AG. If you're blessed by what you hear today, be sure to share and subscribe. Thanks, and as always, God bless.
1: Have your Bible turn with me to Jonah chapter one Jonah chapter one I'll give you I know it takes a minute to find Jonah doesn't it it's uh hiding there in the Old Testament somewhere <clears throat> in the list of old Testament prophets uh <clears throat> when I first was a preacher and uh in the i I would start reading, I would get to a certain time of the year when I would be reading through the, the uh, minor prophets. You know, the minor prophets aren't minor because of their influence, but they're minor because of their size. And so all those little guys, Haggai and all those cute little prophets that are in the Old Testament, Jonah being one of them. I would read those and I would be, <clears throat> it'd be a string of a couple of weeks there where you're just in minor prophets. And minor profitville is woe unto you, and just fill in the blank. Everybody gets a woe, it seems like. And I would end up preaching really harsh messages when I was doing that. And i vowed that I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't let my my this, this coarseness that comes over me. I wouldn't. I wouldn't let that that come come through my message. So I'm hoping that that doesn't happen today. If it does, please forgive me. I'm trying. So. We're in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1. How many of you have ever been interrupted before? Huh? Don't you love that? You're just about getting something accomplished and you're interrupted. And, uh, you know, if, you know the, wor- the worst interruption <clears throat> is the fifth glass of water that your child dis- determines that he needs after you have laid him down to sleep at night. You've... You know, you put them to bed, you pray with them, you tuck them in, you give them a kiss. They come out, I need a glass of water. Okay, here you go, here's a glass of water. And then after you give them a glass of water, they come back out and they, they you know, I just can't sleep. Well, go back into bed and you're trying to relax and you can't get to that place of relaxation because th- the third time this kid comes down the stairs and you're about ready to you know, sell them to gypsies or whatever it is at that point, uh, fourth or fifth time that kid you just like this cannot be my child it's interrupting me like this interruptions are aggravating and interruptions are are uh, uh, bothersome but sometimes they're necessary sometimes you need to be interrupted i know you don't want to hear that today but we're talking here today about a grandiose interruption into the life of the prophet to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean you sleeper rise call out to your god perhaps the god will give a thought to us that we may not perish father would you help us today as we look at the life of jonah and help us to see what you want us to see in jesus name amen jonah was an ordinary believer he was comfortable with his life he had a big 60-inch television a recliner Plenty of food and snacks. He was insulated from the rest of the world by the blessings that God had given to him. He sat every Sunday after church, listened to, watched a football game, just enjoyed himself, ate those little mini hamburgers you guys like to eat, all that kind of stuff. He was just a wonderful man, a godly man, a person who who was very uh, in in touch with the things of God and the the habits of his faith, and. And then God interrupted his life. God interrupted his life and said, Hey, I have a job for you to do. I think it's interesting that in the text it says that Jonah decided that he would run from the presence of the Lord. What a dope! God is everywhere. Why would he run from the one who loves him? Well, the reason is because he didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. And the reason he didn't want to do what God wanted him to do is because though he seemed to be godly on the outside, his heart was far from being like God. His heart wasn't like God. He may have had all the church attendance. He may have had all the Bible memorized. He may have had all kinds of theological uh, 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 jot and tittles dotted and crossed the Ts. But he, he probably didn't really have an understanding of who God was. Or maybe he did have an understanding of who God was and he didn't like who God was. Uh, Wayne kind of testified to it. Sometimes we don't like who God is. We don't like the fact that He calls us to go and speak to those who are imprisoned. We don't like the fact we think those people are there because of something they did. And That's so much different from us because we got saved from sins that, well, I guess we did those too, right? So, so we're just like them. But we judge those and say that they have done this and they brought this upon themselves and because they brought this upon themselves, then... Then they they don't need us to go there. And and we resent God's heart to say to us to leave our 60-inch television and to go and leave our, our our comfortable recliner and leave the comfort of our warm food and all that stuff and go out and do something for someone else. But that's what prophets do. Prophets have to go out and do things for someone else. Even the pagans point out to us that we should be more compassionate. I'm talking about now. I'm not talking about Jonah's time. The pagans these days are telling us that we, if we really love Jesus, we should be more compassionate. Are they right or are they wrong? Yeah, they're right. They're right, but we have a 60-inch television and we have a comfortable food and a recliner and we're really comfortable in our faith and we stand up and raise our hands and then sit down and we do all the things that we feel like we need to do, but God's come to interrupt your life. And like the prophet, we run away from that. Jonah was comfortable. That's where we are, comfortable. But God calls him, gives a mission, a mission. Jonah decides, rather than do the mission, he's going to abandon everything he knows, and he's going to go on the road, he's going to, he's going to run away from God. They're in The understanding was that Yahweh was the God of Israel, and so Jonah was thinking, if I can just get out of Israel, then then I can ditch God, and God won't have a grip on me. If I can just get out of Israel, then I can escape this territorial God. God speaks to him about this later on in the book. But he's running from God because he does, he's trying to get away from this, this call. He's prejudiced. The meanest people on the earth were the Assyrians. In fact, they might be the meanest people in history. The things that they did to human beings are, are so brutal that they, they often aren't spoken from the pulpit because they're just so brutal. They tortured people. They were very, very bloody people. And so these Assyrians, they, they were not well thought of by the Israelites. Remember, Assyria came through Israel in 722 and they captured a bunch of people and took uh, the city, tore the city down and did all these kinds of things. And so, so Jonah had that in his memory it's it's sort of like if if you are a, an African-American person and God says, I want you to go and minister to the clan. That's basically what's happening here. The person who hates you and for whom you have developed a hatred because of their actions, <clears throat> and maybe they deserve to be hated, I mean, it could very well be that they deserve to be hated, but... Because of that hatred that, they, that, that Jonah has in his heart, he can't be obedient to God. And God calls him on this mission. So just to get away from the Word, you know there are people who don't come to church because they don't want to be convicted. Isn't that the same thing? Running away from the presence of the Lord? I gave my life to the Lord once a long time ago. Praise the Lord. And it's by grace, and so He's going to have to Just accept me the way I am. I don't want to go to church because they're always telling me what to do in church. And that's true. That's what we tell you. Tell you what to do in order to please God. We don't know who walked in the door today. Maybe some backslider, maybe some person who's been running from God for all this long time. We don't know who walked in the door, but it happens all the time. People are frequently running away from God, avoiding His presence, avoiding church, avoiding the presence of God in worship, because it makes them feel bad. The real problem is Jonah's heart is not at all like God's. God looks down at the Assyrian people and says, I know you've done dirt to my people. I know you've devastated my land. I know you've taken people captive, but... I'm going to have to destroy you if you don't repent. So therefore, I am going to have to dig out some prophet out of the body of Christ. I'm going to have to dig out some prophet and send that prophet into these people. And Jonah's like, no way, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I know what kind of a God you are. I know what you're going to do. You're going to try to save these people. And so he begins to run away. Jonah's heart may have contained apathy, the fact that he just didn't care about these people, may have contained prejudice, almost certainly contained some prejudice against the very people to which he was called, and it probably contained a lot of resentment and hate. You say, well, pastor, we're good people. We don't have resentment and hate. Hmm? I've seen some of your political posts on Facebook, and I think you might need to rethink that some of the things we say to people who are our friends are pretty rough, even if you don't agree with them. The other day I was talking to a friend of mine who I reconnected with after, I don't know, 50 years, maybe I haven't seen him for 50 years. Wow, that's a long time to be alive. But anyway, 50 years it's been since I reconnected with him, he's a little guy guy I grew up with, he's a a uh, uh, geologist, and and uh, so we reconnect. I saw his mother at a funeral and we, somehow we, we reconnected. And on Facebook, and immediately <clears throat> he began to try to persuade me to his side of the political aisle, uh, attacking things that I would say or, you know, assuming the worst about things that I would say. And some of you came to my rescue and, and tried to convince him that I really'm not a total beast and uh uh anyway but we we our reconnection was so almost almost violent in the way that we we clashed together. This is a guy I got along with my whole life at least until I was twelve years old when when I moved away and so uh f- to have this conversation with him was very very difficult so uh I prayed about it. I said, "Lord, you know what? What do I need to do and I to to try to connect with this guy on a level?" And so I said, uh, I, I I prayed and then I just talked to him about something. And he said, he told me that his passion was this inner city ministry to uh, to Denver uh, high school students that couldn't afford to go stay in school. And so. Uh, I and it was a it was a uh, fund that he had started. We were talking about, you know, he was saying things about the church should feed the world and all this kind of stuff. You know, it's like, like church can't even afford a furnace, you know. So anyway, anyway, so I was like, so we were talking back and forth, and and uh, and but I heard that this was his kind of passion. So I I I gave a hundred bucks to his to his uh, fund, you know. Didn't tell him I gave a hundred bucks. I just gave a hundred bucks to his fund. That was like around Christmas. Granted, I was feeling pretty. It was Christmas. I was feeling pretty, pretty generous. It was Christmas, you know. And so I forgot about it. And then just the other day, he goes, "I just got a list." He says to me, "I just got a list of all the people who donated to my my fund." And I just got to say, thank you for your. He was so blown away. Just thank you for your gift to my my fund and uh and i was like god you're so smart that you would to find what is his heart and then to talk about without a lot of falderall just bless his heart you know to find what is really to touch what is and so all of a sudden he was like hey i'm going to send a a uh, a donation to your church and then i thought that was stupid you know, I'm going to send you $100, and you're going to send me $100. I could have just give the $100 to the church, and we could skip the middleman. So I said, "No, don't send the church any money." And I, it goes against my grain to say that. I got to tell you, everything on the inside of me was, "Yeah, maybe your check's bigger than mine, but whatever." I said, "Don't send the church any money." I said, "I was just doing it to give it to your your fund." We we have to be good people. We have to be kind to one another. We have to be known for the kindness. It's the kindness of the Lord that brought us into His presence, right? That redeemed us, that gave us the ability to repent. Only because of His reputation of kindness, we have to be nice. Look at your neighbor and say, be nice. nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think that kind of goes without saying, but really it doesn't go without saying. We have to say it to one another, remind ourselves where we are. Jonah's heart wasn't like God's. My heart sometimes isn't like God's. When God's people reject their calling because it makes them uncomfortable or they have anger towards those people. Uh, anyway, it, it makes it very difficult to be obedient. And then it entered the part of Jonah's life where it becomes a very fishy story. Jonah, gets, Jonah, Jonah is down at the end of our verses here. Jonah is down sleeping while the rest of them are crying out to all their deities, cutting themselves, doing whatever it is to try to get their God's attention to save their bacon while they are on that ship. And there is no breakthrough. And then the captain of the ship comes down and finds Jonah asleep. Jonah's not afraid. Why isn't Jonah afraid? Because he knows God has a mission for him. Jonah later on says, Well, my God is the God of the land and the sea. See, God had revealed to him, You can't run away from Israel because God, the God who created Israel, is the God who created all the land and all the sea. Oh, I can't run away from God. That's what he, he comes to the realization. And they say, Oh, no wonder that it's stormy outside and we throw you, prophet, overboard. And then the fish that God designed to come along swallow him up. It says in chapter two that there's a long prayer that that Jonah prays. It says actually in there that that there was a seaweed had wrapped around Jonah's head. His pro- skin was probably bleached white from all the acids in the whale's belly. Somehow, while he was unconscious but not dead in the in the whale's belly, he's offering up this long, lengthy prayer. That's chapter two in the book of Jonah. And then at the end of the chapter two, I just love how how beautiful this is. At the end of his prayer, God has the whale belch him up onto, pukes him up right on the shore. Right? Right? He finds himself in Nineveh, the seat of all the Assyrian people. He could have gone in his nice prophet clothes, but now he has a seaweed turban. His skin has all been bleached white. His clothes are tattered. And he begins his ministry now in obedience to the Lord. And you can almost hear there's a gratitude that, hey, thankfully I'm not in the fish's belly anymore, but I'm a little bent out of shape that I have to preach to these people that I hate. And Jonah just walks around praying, announcing to people, 40 days until God destroys this this whole country. You can imagine it. How much passion he had in his preaching. Yeah, you're all going to be destroyed in 40 days if you don't repent. So if I was you, I'd repent. And then he moves to another place. Some people are like, this guy's an idiot. Why would we listen to him? We don't know that Jonah had any single Convert. To his preaching, we've always assumed that the entire nation responded in in repentance to Jonah's preaching, but that's not really what happens. What really happens is the king hears about the bleached white, you know, uh, seaweed turban nut job that's walking around the country saying, "In forty days, this place is going to be destroyed," and so. The king hears about that, and he says, well, what's his message? And then the king has a religious conversion. One guy, the only convert that we know, the king has the the conversion. He says, well, what the heck? Let's fast. No, let's have everyone in the country fast. No, let's have everyone and their pets and their animals and everything fast. Well, that's a pretty strict fast. The king is expressing desperation and repentance. He's saying, let's let's repent for our sins. Let's let's maybe God will cut us some slack. I don't know, but it's worth a try. We're all gonna die anyway. So let's let's just do what what the God of the weirdo, let's 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 just do what the God of the weirdo has asked us to do. And so we repent and we and we we fast and and our cows fast, and our goats fast, and our dogs fast, and our cats fast. At the order, at the edict of the king. And now, now God hears. Jonah on the day, day if we're counting back from day 40, now Jonah is on day one. One more day till destruction. The story tells us that Jonah goes up on the hill and camps on the hill overlooking the city of Nineveh. And I kind of see him going, okay, one more day. And then boom. It's out Gomorrah all over again. Where stuff's going to be rained down from heaven. Everything's going to be destroyed and I have the perfect seat. I'm sitting on the top of the hill overlooking the city. I'll be able to see the destruction that I've been talking about for a month and a half. I'll be able to see that destruction come upon these people who are so well deserving of destruction. Wow. His heart is still far. He's being obedient. Right? He's doing what God said. He goes to church, he tithes, he does all the things, but his heart is lousy. His heart is far from God's. God is saying, I want to move heaven and earth to bring bring revival to Nineveh. And he's saying, I'm just here to watch the fireworks. To watch it all come down and watch people be destroyed. Now don't get me wrong, there are people who I'd like to see destroyed on the earth. But when I think like that I know my heart is far from God. Because the scripture says to us in the New Testament, God does not wish that any would perish. Even your worst enemy. Even your worst enemy. I remember when I was when I was at, Having chemo, you think weird thoughts when you're in, having chemo. I remember thinking to myself, is there anyone alive that I would wish this on? <laughs> it's a weird thought, isn't it? None of you were on the list, so that's good news. <laughs> there was a couple, though, that I had to pray through. I'm like, what kind of a, a horrible person would wish this on anyone else? And that's a life-saving thing that's not even the judgment of god how is it that we can go to church and sing wonderful songs and study the nature of our loving god and do all these wonderful things and still our heart doesn't know the god that we serve how we can pass somebody on the street as though they are insignificant when really the Holy Spirit was screaming out, stop and talk and pray with that one. But we don't because they're insignificant. They they don't look like they would be influential or a a blessing to us in any way. And so we just keep doing what we're doing. And at the end of the day, yeah, we've gotten some of our things done, but we've missed all the things that God wanted us to do. Isn't that just as much running from the presence of God? Isn't that saying... God, I'm so busy, I've got all this stuff to do. I, I, I remember one day when I was just a young minister here in Cicero, and I was sitting there and I said to God, how in the world, you know, some of those prayers that you pray and it never gets answered because you know the answer as soon as you pray the prayer. Have you ever had one of those, those things? to said, God, how can I ever get anything done with all, any ministry done with all these interruptions? People coming into my office and asking for prayer, and then I, as I said it, I was like, "Oh yeah, that is the ministry. <laughs> that is the ministry." It's not doing the stuff. It's the stuff is what you do when you're not actively ministering to somebody's brokenness, or, or or talking about the word with somebody, or encouraging someone to hang in there with Jesus. And I was I was I was so. Broken because I realize that though I'm in the right place and it looks like I'm doing the right thing and I'm holding the right book and I'm preaching the right passage, my heart is still far from God. How is it? Sometimes I send, I I go out to dinner or something, you know, drive in or something with my wife. She'll say, run in and get me a burger. So I run in and get her A burger. And she'll say, we've been married 40 years and you don't know that I don't like cheese on my hamburger? (laughs) What kind of a weirdo doesn't like cheese on their hamburger? (laughs) But for 40 years, you'd think, and this is not the first time she said that, says that to me frequently. How could I live with someone, sleep with someone, cuddle and neck and kiss someone and not know she doesn't like cheese on her burger? I'm going to tell you why. Because I was thinking about my euros. I was thinking about my hot dog. I was thinking about whatever it is that I was ordering It was me being selfish. It's not that I don't know. If I would have given it some thought, I would have done what she wants and deserves. But I was moving too fast. I was thinking about myself. And isn't that what we do with God? It's not that we don't know His heart is for us to be nice and loving and to outreach to people and to be friendly and to pray with people. It's not that we... Don't see we think, "Oh wow, this Jonah guy, what a, what a dunce of a prophet this guy is. But don't you know that all the Lord's people are prophets? Because the Holy Spirit came upon not just 12, but upon all those that were gathered there on the day of Pentecost. In other words, the Holy Spirit goes into the heart of every single believer. Every single believer is equipped with the Holy Spirit and has the same message to go you therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Every single believer has that. We are all prophets. So remember as you're pointing at Jonah, there's three fingers pointing back at you, asking you, how are you doing? And catching the heart of God. Is God sending you in for a burger and you're coming out with a cheeseburger? To all the people on the outside, they see you dutifully serving and bringing the little bag with the fries and the burger back. But our Heavenly Father opens the bag and says, don't you know I don't like this? And our heart doesn't care. Our heart is more interested in the things that are, oh, bless me, God. Oh, bless my children. Bless my business. Bless me. Bless me. Bless me. Spiritual masturbation. So it is. We're pleasing ourselves and calling it pleasure. We live for the pleasure of the King. And for thy purpose, they were created, it says in the book of Revelation. Every single one of us in here have been created to bring pleasure to the King. My life is to bring pleasure to the King. It's wonderful on the times when I get to experience some of the overflow of, of blessing God. Um, You know, some of the greatest times in the church are when somebody comes forward that you've been praying for for 10 years and they finally break down and give their life to Jesus and you happen to be there that day. You were involved in the prayer all the time. You lay your hands on them say, repeat after me and they repeat after you and you know that there's a new name written down in glory and God is pleased and angels are dancing and there's a party in heaven and you experience the Holy Ghost overflow for just being in that moment in that time but you're still living for the presence of the Lord. But what what we do so frequently is we make it about us. I just think if every day we start off the day saying it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about you, God. It's not about whether I get pleased. It's about whether you get pleased. Whether my life pleases you. Ultimately, I've found that when I make my wife happy by not putting cheese on her hamburger, that my lunch is better. It doesn't taste better. It tastes the same. But I don't have to hear that. For 40 years, you've been bringing me the wrong burger. And the reality of it is, that's what we get from God. When we do wrong, when we're pleasing ourselves, when we talk to God as if it's all about us. Well, that's the heart of Jonah as he sits on the hill there. This is going to be some show. Some light show when, when fire and brimstone fall from the sky and swallow up Nineveh. And I get to watch it all and say, I told you so! Prophets love to say, Told ya! Told ya! I say that to people sometimes. I told ya! Such a poisonous statement. It makes me feel so superior. Makes them feel stupid. They're not any stupider than I am. If you're here today and I've told you, I I told you, sorry. Just trying to justify my existence. See, when I tell you if you do that, you're going to grieve the heart of God. And then you go do it, and then you find out I grieve the heart of God. And then you come back to me and you say, I did what I told you I was going to do and it grieved the heart of God just like you said. And I say, I told you, I've missed the heart of God. Because God is saying, welcome home. Welcome back. I'm glad that you were at least astute enough to realize that that grieved my heart. But we don't get that. Because we just want to say, I told you. And then God relents. (laughs) What a frustrating thing for the prophet to experience. God says, yeah. Yeah. So many of them are fasting and praying and crying out to me and repenting. I'm not going to destroy them. And Jonah is like, What? You made me lie to these people? How in the world do you get off telling me you're going to destroy this place in 40 days? And in 40 days comes, and you have mercy on them. How in the world can you do that to me? You've humiliated me, God. And Jonah goes up, sits on his little chair, and pouts before Almighty God. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Think I'll go eat worms. God sent me to tell a lie to these people. They repented. Now God had mercy. I knew that's the kind of God you were. Merciful God. Going to be merciful to people who deserve death. I knew that's the kind of God. Of course you know, prophet. You know because you deserve death. You ever find yourself saying, I just want what I deserve. Oh friend, you don't want what you deserve. What you deserve is a eternity and a burning hell. You need to reword that statement. I just want what I desire. I just want something different than what I've got. You don't want what you deserve. Well, those people deserve it. No, no, we all deserve hell. But God will watch men and women trickle into hell with tears in His eyes. I don't think He's going to say, told you, told you, told you, told you as they go marching into an eternity without him. No, that's not the kind of God we serve. God's the kind of a God who says, there are people who go into hell and I need to stir up a prophet, even a ridiculously reluctant prophet like, jo- like Jonah. I need to make him go into the world and tell, even if he does it with a lousy attitude, I need to, do, to bring the message out, so the message so that maybe someone will be saved oh, pastor, I'm waiting for my evangelistic ministry until I get all my doctrine in a row and everything is perfect. No, you can be as dumb as Jonah and go out and just tell people. You don't have to know. You know what the best answer is for some questions when you're witnessing? I don't know. I don't know. Let's study the Bible together and find out. I don't get it. I don't know. Come on, let's go talk to my pastor. He might know. But... Just the freedom to say, I don't know. You could say, I don't know. All I know, this is what I know. I was going to hell. Now I'm on my way to heaven. What happened? Jesus. That's what happened in my life. Jesus came into my life and turned me all around. Freed me from my addictions and all my junk and set me free and turned me in the direction that I should go. And and that's as prophetic as you need to be. You just need to be able to proclaim the fact that the truth that there's a God in heaven, who's weeping at the way that you're wasting your life. He's, he's weeping over the ruin that you're bringing upon yourself. He's weeping over the hardship that you're causing on your own self. He's not saying, I told you. He's saying, come home. Come back to me. Repent. Bring it back home to me. This is the kind of the heart of God that we, we've missed. We've got a told-you-so, God, on our altar rather than a God of mercy and God of grace. Makes me love God all the more. Makes me hate myself all the more. Because I'm so guilty of being Jonah. So Jonah's sitting on the hill. Judgment doesn't come. And a little vine starts growing up. Grows up real fast. Covers him, scripture says. Covers up his little place and gives him some shade. In the burning heat in Assyria, he he now has found some shade. And Jonah looks at this miraculous vine and says, thanks for that. At least I get some shade. Right? And then, the vine dies. And now Jonah is even madder at God. You know, the one thing I had, God, this is so petty, this is so much like us, the one thing... And one thing I had, God, was this vine that was making me shady so I didn't have to be so hot and sweaty while I'm watching for the demise of a whole nation. This one little thing, and now it died. And God said, you don't even care about the vine? See, we're so utilitarian. We just use people and stuff all of our lives. It's hard to be the church. It's easy to be a part of the church. You just confess your sins and ask Jesus to be your Savior. Receive what he did for you on the cross, man. You're a Christian. That's 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 awesome. The first step is awesome. It's glorious. It's hard. It's hard to continue on and get the heart of God. Getting the heart of God means you see people who you may not like. Certainly that you don't know. And you're certain that they need Jesus. And then God starts saying, what are you doing about that? Eh, What are you doing about reaching lost Muslims? Muslims, God? Didn't they collectively try to kill us all by blowing up New York? What are you doing about them? Uh, Well, I'm doing nothing about that, God. What are you doing about these uh, American Indians that are on the reservation? They don't have a church. What are you doing with them? What are you doing about these Chinese college students that are coming to Chicago? What are you you doing? God, I'm still thinking about the Muslims. You're asking me now about Chinese college students? Do they have coronavirus? Coronavirus? What about these... Indian folks, they got millions of people over there, God. Do they need my help? What are you doing? And the closer you get to God, the more expensive it is. That's honest to truth. This is my life experience. The closer I get to God, the more it costs me. God says, what about them? Okay, I'll support their mission, mission to them, you know. What about them? I mean, like, okay, we'll send some money to them too. What about these people? I don't like those people, God. Okay, I'll send them a double. <laughs> it gets more and more expensive. Why, does God need my $25? Oh, he wants your heart. Well, oh, I gave him my heart. Yeah, kind of. You said, "Yeah, you can join. I'll join the Blessing Club." That's what you said when you came, became Christian. I'm so tired of being on the outs, but now I want to be on the ins. So I'll I'll join the Blessing Club, and God says, "Good." As a member of the Blessing Club, I want to change your heart. And we think, "Oh, good. Take out all that other stuff that seems to bother me." But God says, "Yeah, but we're going to get down to that stuff that you like—the hatred." The stuff that makes you feel like you're so superior to other people. Your sense of privilege. Your judgment on other people. Man. Yeah, that's when people stop coming to church. Or they start shortening up their prayers. Lord, here's here's what I need. I need this, 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 this. Amen. And then they go away. They don't have conversations with God. You have long conversations with God says, hey, what do you say we up your, your giving and give to missions oh God those people are a different color than me those people are some of them are the same color as me shouldn't they have figured it out already we have all these hidden prejudices in our, our soul Jonah had it all what finally cracked him was when he had to sit in the sun and realize that he cared more about the vine than he cared about the 120,000 Ninevites that were about to be smitten by the power of God in judgment. I don't know if Jonah ever got the message. <laughs> Imagine that. You could go your whole life in ministry. Get swallowed by a fish. Have your skin bleached white. Preach something that never comes true your whole life. And never see the fulfillment of your prophecy. And miss the heart of God. I guess what I'm saying to us is, danger. Danger, Will Rogers. Danger. Danger we may all be in the place where we are fooling ourselves and not growing closer to God. I give to missions more and more every year. Why? Because I'm trying to be obedient to what God says. I've had the conversation with God. Lord, someday... I may be living off of cat food because I'm given the missions. I'm going to be resentful about that. But when I step into glory and somebody from another culture comes up and says, thanks for giving to that missionary that nobody knew and investing in his ministry So that he could preach like a prophet and save my soul. I won't be regretting it then. I won't be regretting it then. Ultimately, it comes down to this. What world am I living for? This one or the next one? So you can run if you want to. But God's making a fish for somebody in here today. Somebody who's running from their call, God's designing a fish to swallow you up and drop you off after a very stinky, seaweedy, acidic ride. Right back where you're supposed to be. Or we can just get the heart.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. We take pride in creating free content that will hopefully enrich your life and lead you closer to the heart of the Father. If you are blessed by what you heard today, help us continue to make content just like this by sharing, subscribing, and if you feel led, by contributing financially on our website, berwinag.org. As always, if there's anything that we can do to help you in your walk with the Lord, contact us on our website, berwinag.org, or on social media at berwinag.org. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.